0: Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Well, I've got a real busy one for you today. We've got some guests joining us, of course. A little bit later on in the hour, I've got the mayor of Orangeville joining me. It is Mr. Jeremy D. Williams. He's going to be back and uh, we're gonna get some updates. It's been real busy up there and uh, gonna be uh, interesting to find out what kind of developments are happening in the Orangeville area. And shortly, I'm going to have Romana King join me from British Columbia and we're gonna be talking about the. The market and all the changes there I'll tell you if you're an owner of vacation property and you live in Ontario but you have it in BC you're gonna be paying some serious taxes coming up in the near future and I'm not sure if it's something that you're going to want to do so let's talk about what's happening right here at home though the GTA lots and lots of things in the news how about what the F is going on in Toronto real estate a couple articles that just came out and that was one of the headlines And I found it very interesting because when we start talking about Toronto real estate, there is so many different perceptions out there. Starting off with the fact that the new single family home in the GTA is going at about $1.2 to $1.3 million. And so if you've got $1.5 million burning a hole in your pocket, you're ready to go. But at the same time, condominiums. Some of these new condominiums are topping up on an average of over $700,000. So what's going to happen? Why are we going down this direction? Well, again, we talk about inventory all the time, and where it starts happening is the fact that we've got a huge growth ahead of us in the next, uh, call it 20 years, probably another 3.5 million people in the GTA market. Where are they going to live? You know, if you turn around and you say to yourself, okay, if we average three people per uh, location, so that could be a condominium or a detached home on the average. If we're working with the number three, we've got three million people moving in. Do we have um, an area of a million properties that can be shoved into the GTA? Well, according to people that build, the government is still keeping the clamps on it there's all sorts of rules and regulations that are making it even tougher and it's not looking so good so again at the same time we need the inventory and nobody wants to do a thing about it that's right we can blame the government all we want but some of the local municipalities need to help out too you know you gotta free up those building permits make it a little bit shorter for them and uh, we might have a chance of even coming close to the amount of inventory that is required but let's talk about uh, a few things that are actually happening in the condominium market Uh, so again another cancellation Kennedy Gardens just to the east side of Toronto 68 units well they decided to cancel and and for the people that turned around and bought this development back in 2016 they are going to be without a property they first got notice that it was going to be about mid 2018 that was going to close but then back in December they changed it to 2021. A month later, buyers were sent another letter saying the project has been canceled entirely and their deposits would be refunded. So where does this leave people? The fact that builders can turn around midstream and cancel it. Well, there's a few ways out and one of the ones that they actually threw out was the fact that they did not have enough sales. Some of these builders are falling back on the fact that they do not have enough sales to be able to complete the actual transaction. They can't get their financing to do it. Um, I'm gonna call foul on that because I don't believe it for one second that a builder in today's market in Toronto ever, ever struggles for the number of sales. In fact, it's almost impossible to, uh, to comprehend the idea that a builder would struggle selling their property. Of course, if they punch it up to $1,500 a square foot, you know they may struggle but at the same time when we take a look at developments like this and when we start considering the prices of something like this there's no reason why they had to cancel I mean here's the thing the gentleman agreed to pay five hundred twenty five thousand back in 2016 for a townhouse and you know today if you start thinking about what that would be worth to a builder if we take a look at the cost of square footages 525 are you kidding the chances are they could be at eight or nine hundred thousand for the same thing today So is there any reason why a builder can bail out? Well, if you break down their contract There's a few things they could look at the fact that they didn't make proper applications So the permits are not given to them. They may not have financing arranged. So that's another way out There's all sorts of things that they can turn around and get out of now Of course the government is looking at this saying, okay, if builders are gonna do releases, maybe they're going to have to be divulge more about where they are at. So oh, I guess you could throw it out as a condition where it is conditional for the buyer to walk away from this deal if the builder does not provide them with assurance by a certain date. I think that would be a nice role reversal. How about giving the power back to the buyer when you're buying brand new? You know, I'm pretty sure a lot of builders are saying, hang on Todd, that's not how it works. Well you know what, if you piss enough people off and you don't take care of them, and they get stuck like this, and literally they become homeless or they're living in somebody's basement, uh, you know what, you deserve it. And so enough of this, you know, if you're going to commit to a development, do the development. I understand there's cost overrun, and this is where we've got to sit there and have a conversation with the municipalities. Hello, people, wake up. If you're going to turn around and tell a builder you can have permits and everything on a timely fashion, then make sure you do it you know, tying them up and creating problems uh, on their checklist. A lot of builders are struggling right now because these municipalities are even pushing them for more more permits, you know, where they're worrying about the environment, they're doing everything for the conservation authorities, that's great. But at the same time, then they shouldn't be getting, giving them any kind of tentative idea that they can do it until certain requirements are met. And of course, the builders, they have the knee-jerk reaction, they've got to sell and make sure that they can attain X number of dollars so they can get financing to do construction. Again, this is one of the biggest problems that we have in the GTA market right now. Sometimes it is the, uh, the cart before the horse, and so builders do have to get some kind of completion idea, but at the same time, the end result, the person paying for it, the buyer, they're being left high and dry. And there, this happened a fair bit last year, by the way, folks. In 2017, we saw quite a few cancellations, and this is just one more for the record books. And in the end, what is going to happen is these people that originally thought that they were going to be paying somewhere around that five or $600,000 for a property well they're now if they want to get something very much like it it's going to cost them several hundred thousand dollars more and with that new price will they qualify under the new rules and regulations implemented uh, in january first so again this is creating a much bigger problem i still always turn towards the government to say hey listen you folks keep talking about how you want to turn around and do something about this housing issue how about reaching out to the people that are actually in the industry and having a conversation? I know they do all sorts of studies and they, do, you know, a group, a big group, Kumbaya, saying, oh, let's do this. But the truth is, they're not doing anything about it. They're not doing the hardcore, you know, take the dam away and actually let people build. Give us some of your land, Let, you know, give it, incentivize the builders by saying, hey, listen, we're going to give you a great deal on this land, but you know what? You've got to build a thousand units of you know, affordable housing. Probably it would be a lot smarter if they started doing that. Hey, listen, one of the other things, of course, is the fact that condominiums are getting a little bit smaller. One of the things that you'll find in some of the other urban areas uh, in the world is the fact that they don't need the palatial, you know, square footages. What they're doing is they're actually building smaller ones. They're creating more of a lifestyle. And these condominiums, they they, they call them tiny condominiums, you know, 382 square feet, well, for some, that's a big modified hotel suite, but at the end of the day, what ends up happening is that you can put more in a building. So if you have these smaller ones, you know, instead of having 300 units, you can maybe get four or 500 units. And what they do is they make sure that the common amenities are a little bit better. So you have, you know, better areas for people to hang out, you know, perhaps libraries, gyms, pools, everything else uh, outside terraces. So what they do is they make them smaller so they can put more in, yeah. you're. you're you're racking and stacking them. But this is going to have to be part of our future. And we may have to realize that people are going to live in smaller square footages. It was interesting because I saw an article out uh, this past week that somebody had mentioned that you know people don't want to live in 900 square feet or a thousand square feet you know they they for some reason think that you need 2600 to 3000 square feet to live well if you look back at some of the war style bungalows that were built back in the 40s and 50s you know just so everybody knows the average bungalow was just over 900 square feet that was it and you know they still raised two or three kids in it and the biggest thing is they were out outdoors and they certainly did not have big screen TVs taking up most of the house so you know it's interesting how things change um, one of the things we may as well do is go for a drive down the 401 corridor and I'm gonna talk about some of the prices and again if we look at affordability Let's go out to Windsor for a second. Average home price, 277 If we hit Chatham and Kent, 184658 184, If we swing by London, $333,424 is the average. Woodstock, $366, of course, as we start getting closer to the horseshoe, $458,750 out in the Kitchener-Waterloo area. Cambridge, $468, Guelph, $485, Milton, $638,000 is the average. Mississauga, they're pushing six seventy-five dollars as the average. And, of course, Toronto... The average price is seven hundred sixty-six thousand. If you're looking basically into more of a condominium-style property, wow! So that's uh, those are some pretty big numbers when you think about it. Big, big swing. So if you if you go out to the Windsor or Chatham Kent area, there's some small areas out there, and they're basically a third. Does it make sense to buy that? Well, who knows, but the outer markets are definitely a place of opportunity. By the way, speaking of opportunities, when uh, when you think of investment real estate, you can always go to the simpleinvestor.com. And if you want me to have a conversation with you and send me a letter, uh, Todd at the simpleinvestor.com. I'd love to hear some feedback if you've got some questions as we do. And uh, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, um, we're going to start bringing back minutes with the mayor. Of course, we're going to have a returning guest, it is Mr. Uh, uh, Jeremy D. Williams from Orangeville is going to be joining me a little bit later in the hour, but... After the break, I'm going to be joined by Romana King. She is a huge contributor here on the show um, on a regular basis. We also uh, listen to and read her articles in Money Sense, always great. So, Romana's going to give me an update on what's happening in BC, so you don't want to miss out on it. Also, just a quick update next week's show is going to be at 12 noon, not my usual 3 p.m. So, make sure you have your dial set at 12 noon to listen to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010 and welcome back as i mentioned just before the break my next guest is a returning guest she is on all the time with me and i really appreciate her feedback it is ramana king she's a real estate expert you have seen her articles in money sense and ramana uh good morning and welcome back to the show good morning so quick question for you. Um, you know, <laughs> you and I were just talking offline. It seems like there's a lot of seagulls flying in the air of the BC real estate market. <laughs> what is going on out there? I mean, the last couple of weeks have been, in in my opinion, huge game changers. There's so much. Maybe we can break it down.
1: Well, I mean, lots is happening. I think that uh, government intervention, whether it's in B.C. or across Canada, is certainly having its mark on, on the markets, and B.C. is no exception.
0: So, if we if we to kind of break down a couple of things that are happening, first and foremost, um, you know, BC was the one who did the knee-jerk reaction back in 2016, mm-hmm. wanted to beat up your foreign buyers that were buying up. You know, they thought that that was overheating your marketplace. Of course, new announcement, instead of 15%, what the heck, why not squeeze them for a little bit more?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean... The, the NDP government made good on a few of their promises, I think, You know, in principle, and that was one of them was to try and create more affordable housing. And we all know that they can't force prices to go down and they can't force sellers to sell at a more reasonable rate. So what did they do? They sort of threw a bone and said, listen, if you're a foreign buyer, if you're not a Canadian resident, if you're a non-permanent resident, uh, we're going to charge you more. And they, they're slapping taxes all over the place on anyone that's not basically buying a home to live in.
0: Well, you know, and it's interesting how, how you uh, commented on that the NDP had made this part of their campaign promise, but it seems like their promises that they're making um, are not necessarily going to turn out the best for, let's say, your individual taxpayer. I mean, yes, I get it. So let's keep taxing foreign buyers and, you know, they absorbed as your market did. Uh, you absorbed the 15% tax, you know, you've rebounded nicely. I mean, is you know, here we are beginning of March, is the market still pretty hot in the Vancouver and B.C. area?
1: I mean, that's the issue is we're at the beginning of March. Now, the weather in B.C., weather is really, really, it plays a large role in how the B.C. markets go. Um, And the weather is terrible. I mean, we have seen record snowfalls in in the lower mainland, Um, road closures due to this. So in part, the market hasn't actually hit the spring market, so we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if it's going to suddenly spike. Um, I do remember this from last year when the weather was quite bad and how it just seemed like it ground to a halt, and then all of a sudden there was a huge upswing because the spring market came in. But that said you know the number of sole listings overall for detached is is down by 50% you know in the last month alone so more than 50% actually about 54% and that that looks really scary to people looking at real estate
0: sure i mean so so your volumes down but not your prices
1: No, well, but prices are a lagging effect. So volume will go down and they have to stay down for a prolonged period of time. And sellers have to go out there and market their property and not get what they're asking, and then take it off the market, relist it at a lower price before prices actually get pulled down. So the fact that prices haven't come down isn't an indication that the market isn't slowing. It's an indication that the market hasn't caught up to what's actually happening. And I think what sellers are doing right now is they're waiting. They're waiting to see, well, when is the spring market going to kick in? And will it support what I'm asking? And, and when I say sellers, I mean real estate agents, developers, as well as sellers.
0: Sure. Now, if we take a look at it, though, is your inventory down? I mean, you know, you could have, you could have also the fact that, as you said, people are, are sitting on the fence so is the actual inventory the number of listings is it down as well in comparison because you know we can sit there and say hey look at you know we we've got 50 percent less sales year over year but if we also have dropped the inventory out um you know this is again not going to have that huge adverse effect on prices
1: yeah i mean the inventory is not it, it's a it's a 54 drop month to month so from january to february but the inventory is up on detached townhomes and condos so whether you're looking at strata or detached homes uh, it's about anywhere from 20 to th- just over 30% up. Inventory is up. So we're seeing people list. And we're seeing them list uh, there's about a third more listings out there but month to month we're you know sales are down 50%
0: yeah interesting um, another thing of course in the news and you know this this kind of flagged me because you know I are you know originally you were in in Ontario and of course you know our North Country you know a lot of people have cottages and things like that and of course out in BC I mean you've got some beautiful areas that people own you know their vacation properties and yet they don't want to rent them out now I understand new rule in effect and this one this one i was kind of shocked at that they want to take a run at you know canadians that are here paying taxes let's say i live in ontario but i own a vacation property out in bc all of a sudden now you've got a new ruling that's going to they're going to turn around and put in a tax that said you know 0.5 percent um of the assessed value this year but 2019 2% of your assessed value, they're going to tax you on, on your vacation property if you're not renting it out.
1: Yes, yes. Well, I mean, the NDP government is, again, sort of making good on that promise of, you know, homes for B.C. families, and they're pretty much saying, listen, if you don't earn an income, and if you're not paying income tax here, then you're not considered a resident of B.C., and you're not contributing to our provincial economy, and so now you're going to have to be taxed for that privilege, and so they're slapping on that, that tax, and I mean, I'll give them kudos to this. They, they started with a very minor amount, 0.5%, sort of like a nudge to like, hey, pay attention to this. But, man, we have less than a year to sort of figure out what we're going to do with that property if we don't live in B.C. and we don't pay B.C. income tax because it jumps up to 2% in 2019 tax year.
0: See that there's a problem with that because you've got you know your neighboring Albertans that will turn around and you know they go for a drive they they've got their properties and they're up in arms about this right now yeah you know, looked, looking at some of the feedback for for some of the people there they're sitting there saying hey wait a minute you know what we do add to the economy we come into BC we buy groceries you know we do you know we do vacation things we do all this you know we're paying our we're paying our uh, our taxes as we normally would we're paying for utilities you know they're adding to the actual economy, but now they're being either forced that they're going to have to pay this kind of tax, or they're going to turn around and have to rent it out. I mean, is there is there a point where, and, and, and sorry, I'm I'm not a big, you know, I'm not in favor of the new government there in BC, is, is there a point where they're they're going, you know, way overboard? Because I think 2% of assessed value, that's brutal.
1: Well, and and I mean, to be fair to the policymakers, it's not across B.C. If it was across B.C., I'd be really scared because I I do know a lot of Albertans that interior B.C. is their vacation spot. And so they're coming into sort of the Penticton area. They're coming into sort of the northern interior B.C. They're around those lakes. And they've got that lovely lakefront property. It doesn't cost them that much. Let's say it costs them 500000 Well, because they're not paying B.C. income tax now every year, starting in 2019, they have to pay an extra $10,000 to the B.C. government just for the privilege of owning that. But it's not. It's not just the interior of B.C. It's only very select places in B.C., and that's Metro Vancouver, the Fraser Valley, Greater Victoria, Nanaimo, Kel- Kelowna areas. So these are called – these are sort of the hotter urban areas in B.C. And I think what the B.C. government trying to do is, again, they're trying to say, listen, if you're not contributing to the provincial economy and you're in one of these hotter urban areas where people are struggling to live as well as work – we want you to contribute in some way, and this is how we're going to do it. You know, 2%, when you look at 2% on an assessed value, you know, 500000 half a million dollar property, that's 10000 a year, versus the income tax we pay provincially, whether sure. it's B.C., Alberta, anywhere, it's a drop in the bucket. So... You know, do I love government <laughs> intervention? No. Okay. Do I prefer a market economy? Absolutely. But I get what they're trying to do. At you know, be, governments try and do this. They try and wield this sort of heavy battle axe to try and figure out very finer points of the market economy. Right. Okay.
0: So I'm going to have you hold that thought. We're going to go to a quick break. But I like the I, I like the battle axe <laughs> terminology. So stay with us, folks. I'll be right back with Romana King and welcome back if you're just tuning in my guest right now is Romana King and she's joining me from BC and Romana just before the break you and I were talking about the battle axe government oh sorry am I'm not allowed to say that am I okay they're, 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 they're yeah, exactly they're wielding a battle axe uh, yes so so you know we were talking about the fact that they're implementing this new tax so if you are out of province so you're you're in anywhere in Canada and of course foreign uh, you know foreign investment if you're if you're not paying income tax in BC they're going to start charging this extra tax starting this year uh, half a point for your assessed value and then next year 2019 they're pushing it to two percent you know you were quick to to bring up the fact that it's not in the entire uh, province of of British Columbia but it is it is kind of in the most popular areas
1: yes yes I mean if The popular areas are, you know, you've got the Vancouver's and you've got the the Greater Victoria areas. uh, And, and, you know, real estate agents in Greater Victoria actually talked about in the last couple of years, people cashed out of the Vancouver market, went over to Victoria and set up shop in Victoria because you could get the same house, you know, waterfront view, massive piece of property, massive house, for about a third or half the price. So... Uh, uh, you know and these people had their it was their vacation home and yet there were people in the greater victoria area that were struggling just to get a residence in the city that they worked in so i think i think that this is the government's way of trying to make cities more affordable by making sure that everyone contributes in some way to those city, to the economy of the of the province and then the city's economy as well
0: Right. So, um, you know, a couple of other things, obviously, watching watching the marketplace, watching the fact that you've got, you know, increased foreign buyer tax, you know, BC is, you know, one of, kind of an indicator for the Toronto market. You know, a lot of things that happen in Toronto uh, normally happen pre you know, previously in BC. So when the foreign buyer tax was introduced originally in BC, then it came, of course, across Ontario. Do you see that uh, any chance that Ontario will consider this increase in the foreign tax?
1: they could i mean we heard lots of you know talk about how they weren't going to do it this is they're just looking at things and then they came out and did it you know and, and i think that being first out of the gate is always hard because you are the test model But when you start to see things work, of course, other people jump on the bandwagon. I think governments are struggling. I do know that, um, you know, I think it's 2016, maybe it was 2015, uh, the federal government actually talked about putting together um, a task force that was made up of the municipal, provincial and federal governments. They said that they would release those findings. They never did. I did follow up. They never did. But, you know, all of a sudden we're getting hints from the federal budget that, hey, they did have that task force. They have been talking. These three levels of government are trying to figure out the best way to move Canada forward, and that in part, they look at real estate and what happens in real estate. So we could see additional changes in the Toronto marketplace, and we know what happens to additional changes, regardless of whether or not the change is good or bad, it does have uh, at least a temporary negative effect on that market, because the market pauses almost to sort of catch its breath and see what's going to happen.
0: Yeah, you know, one of the the things that uh, obviously we're feeling in Toronto is the lack of inventory as you are out in BC. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the biggest things, of course, is the fact that the GTA market is pretty much slated for, you know, another three to three and a half million people in growth over the next 15 to 20 years. You know, and and, and at this stage, the, the, the builders, there's no way they can keep up or match that demand in the future. And is there is there anything that you see, you know, or or, and and I'm just picking your brain here because, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's important that, you know, we have a, you know, upfront conversation. You know, we have a lack of inventory here. I don't care what everybody else says. You know, they say that, you know, prices are out of control just because it's the market. But if you if you can't buy enough homes, if the people aren't able to get into the homes, if they can't afford the homes with the new stress test and everything else, is this not going to continue to perpetuate a problem over the next 20 years?
1: Absolutely. I think that's, you know, the governments are trying to tackle this. They're they're realizing demographically we are going to increase, whether it's through immigration or just general population growth. Um, And they're going to go to the urban centers. I mean, 25% of the uh, jobs can be found in in the Golden Horseshoe area within Canada. That's a lot. That's a quarter of the jobs are in that, you know, small geographic area. So you're going to have people there and it's going to push prices up. And Toronto is a bit different, the greater Toronto area there's technically not a scarcity of land because you can always expand outwards, but the reality is is that people don't want to live in a metro area that's two hours away from their work, commute time. You know they want to live within a reasonable commute time, which means that the urban cores become high demand and that pushes land prices up. I think what we 're going to see is what we've seen in other cities in North America that have already had to deal with a sort of massive population growth and that's intense densification of the urban areas. We have not done that in any Canadian city yet. And uh, if you just, anyone pays it, you know, goes down south to any major urban area in the U.S., and you'll see that we have not done major densification. And that'll actually require additional government intervention, but it'll be the zoning and the bylaw guys, you know, the, the, the planning departments that take a look at how do we actually want these areas in the urban core to actually, what kind of housing do we want? And, you know, builders want this. They want extra densification because they make more money when they can sell three homes versus one on a piece of property. But builders have to be incentivized to actually not just build those studio or the one-bedroom condos. They have to be incentivized to to build things that are more suitable for families. So it's going to take a lot of work by a lot of different entities to realize that the only way to grow is literally quite up. It's, we have to grow up. If you yeah. go to San Fran, there are very few single-family residential homes anymore unless you've got a lot of money. There are homes, and they are you know, divvied up into two or three condo units.
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting that uh, your, your point there, because, again, you listen to the builders, but then you listen to, you know, some of the planners and counselors that are out there. And, you know, they want to keep status quo, they want to keep the neighborhoods, you know, warm and cozy and fuzzy. Um, and at the same time, you know, you've got the millennials that are pushing hard saying we can't afford anything, there's nothing available to us. So we've got a we've got a very diverse group of people here, some people don't want to, you know, change the status quo, but yet everybody's complaining that real estate's yeah. going up in value. You You know, and and, and quite frankly, I don't think, and I I said this the other day on Jerry Agar's show, I don't think the government understands real estate. And and, and what I mean by that is that (laughs) they don't grasp you know, the magnitude that they're dealing with, they're not They're not giving people the ability to make decisions. They're not giving the builders, you know, the green light to turn around and increase inventory. They keep wanting to mandate and pull back and keep the reins so tight that, mm-hmm. you know, they can sit there and say, yes, we're controlling the market. But then at the same time, they're implementing so many controls to try to, you know, change the market you know you, you and I both had this discussion about the the latest you know stress test for mortgages and then we turn around and now you know for qualification they're changing everything there now you know they're creating so many problems but yet there's no answer and you know you kind of throw up your hands and say okay it's going to be what it's going to be but that's not going to help us over the next you know five ten fifteen years not just today but we've got to look at the future
1: absolutely and and the part of the problem is they're they're trying to fix a pricing problem, and the pricing problem is much larger than, say, foreign buyers coming in or speculators coming in. The pricing problem is supply, and I know that there's been reports out there saying that supply is a misnomer, is a red herring, but it really is supply. I do know anecdotally, but it, it is true, um, you know, Boston dealt with this. Boston, uh, Massachusetts dealt with this by allowing homeowners to apply to separate units within a house. So they were able to take one residential house and create two or three condo units. There was a woman in Toronto that tried to do that. And the agony she went through just to get this done because the archaic laws about condo corporations and and I don't mean that we should throw these laws out, but I think that they're outdated and need to be examined and brought up to speed so that people can do smart things like, hey, I have an urban house in downtown Toronto. I don't need all this space, but I'd like to get this equity out of, my, out of my home. I don't want to be a landlord. Hey, I know what I can do. I can separate it, sell off half the house to someone else who legally owns it as a condo. Boom, we're a condo unit. We can actually own our own piece of property in urban Toronto. You don't see that. I think there's one, maybe two options in Toronto, whether that's the case. And the rest of the people that are trying to go through that have to wait you know, anywhere from 18 months to three years just for a decision. That's too long. It, it's, it's ridiculous. So People need to understand that there are different ways to attack this problem. Supply isn't just about builders building more. It's about smart use of current uh, buildings and current zoning. And we have not really tackled that issue at all
0: yeah i think I think all of that is you know brilliant points by you, of course. and uh, because you know when 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 you look at it, it isn't just about you know creating creating more, but being able to separate, as you said, because we've got a lot of properties here in the GTA area that have that ability of having the you know the idea of a duplex or a triplex, but if you could you know if you could actually stratify the ownership of it, that would be a lot better. so i think I think that's a great point. Mm-hmm. So, listen. I, always a pleasure to have you on the show, as usual. And um, I think, I think you know, I, I definitely want to reach out to you in a few weeks. I want to see if your spring market kicks in sooner or later. Because <laughs> you know what, with all these rule changes, I'm, I'm, it's going to be interesting to watch what happens to BC. Because, as I say, in Toronto, we've got a little bit of that trickle down effect. So.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Chatter. It's a pleasure to speak
0: to you. Always a pleasure to have you on, Romana. Also, a little bit of a change for next week. We're going to be aired at 12 noon instead of our usual 3 p.m. time slot. So make sure that you tune in at 12 p.m. to listen to my guests and what we have to say about real estate. And uh, folks, when we come back, I've got the mayor of Orangeville joining me. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this and welcome back always great to have uh, Romana King join us and it's interesting BC it's one of those uh, markets I think we better keep our eye on the fact that people that live in Ontario or for that matter Alberta their vacation properties are now going to get taxed this is not a good uh, a good plan for the current government here in Ontario and quite frankly I don't think that they need to reinforce their uh, their foreign buyer tax either I think 15% is plenty um, and hopefully they don't take any cues from B.C. and take it to 20. Anyways, as I mentioned before I went to the break, uh, my next guest is a returning guest. And it our section is Minutes with the Mayor. And it's Mr. Jeremy D. Williams. And welcome back, Mr. Mayor. Well,
2: thank you. So it's always a
0: great pleasure to be here. Oh, fa- fabulous to have you in the studio. It's been a little while. You and I uh, last chatted last year. We were talking about Orangeville. And maybe you can give us a little bit of an update. I mean, it must have been a heck of a year. Lots going on in the market
2: it has been and from a real estate perspective you know the old saying they don't uh, build land anymore and so uh, there has been certainly a leveling off of our real estate market but it's still strong and, and there has been increases year over year even though the number of sales have decreased, but still very strong.
0: Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny, because we, we listen to Treb all the time, we get all that stuff coming out at us, and they keep saying, you know, the number of sales, the actual transactions dropped, of course, everybody kind yeah. of got slammed, if you remember, back when the government put in the 16-point <laughs> approach to things, you're yeah. laughing away. Well, and... the government keeps <laughs> trying
2: to kill as much as they can, it's it's puzzling.
0: Yeah, you know, and and, and, and the wonderful thing, being being a mayor, um you know of of a, of a fabulous place like orangeville and and you know i I, I commend all the other mayors that i that I've had uh, dealings with. But you know it's amazing because you're you're actually the people that are are humping right there i mean you are the ones that are working you are right there with yes. your with your citizens it, with your taxpayers line. yeah you are you are truly the front line and then then you know you we we look at the provincial and, and even the federal government and i swear they must be in the clouds somewhere <laughs> you know i don't i don't know what what you know uh
2: it boggles my mind i don't know where their mindset is uh and no when i say that it's being a f- bit facetious i mean their mindset sure. clearly is very much focused on their core voting uh, electorate. So, uh, you know, everything is is centered around Toronto. And I love Toronto. I mean, I was born in Toronto, sure. but honestly, Ontario is a big place and they really do need to think about all the other areas of Ontario and how their policies uh, impact them. Uh, but you know, the, the present government is truly unique in, in its ability to uh, mess up as many different Areas oh, of life, you know, it's, it's almost like they're trying too they're sti- hard. They're stepping right.
0: in the proverbial pile, aren't
2: they? <laughs> <laughs> and everywhere, everywhere. Left foot, right foot, both of them.
0: Yeah, and and you know, the funny thing is, is that when when we take a look at all these rules and regulations, you know, the federal government came in, uh, you know, trying to control things as well. Uh, Bank of Canada, you know, increased the rates. Then we look at OFSI coming in and putting in the stress tests, and so everybody has this this almost hate on for real estate and yet, you know, we are probably one of the most attractive marketplaces in the world for people not just to invest, but to immigrate and live in. I mean, you know, we can be very proud, obviously, Uh, you know, when we talk about a place like Orangeville, I mean, you've got such a wonderful, diverse group of people there. You've got kind of a small town feel, but you're next to the big city. So you've got everything kind of going for you. But I'm not going to call you a bedroom community because you're a little bit more than that.
2: Yeah, we're not. And and truthfully, we have as many people come into our town uh, for work as leave. So we don't meet the definition of a bedroom community. Sure, um, that, that tends to be the way people have seen Orangeville in the past, but yep. things have changed. It's interesting um, as far as real estate and industrial land. I mean, we, we have done so well from a, a local business perspective. Uh, we sold our last piece of serviceable uh, industrial land uh, last year so you know right. we're, we're building new new plants uh, new factories have, have come to our town uh, so we're we're doing very well we're, sure. we're uh, lucky uh, I think part of it is that the whole vibe in Orangeville is just so wonderful yep. uh, just what you said it's very much a small town feel yep. and yet because a lot of people come up from the city they expect the same amenities that you get in a Brampton or a Mississauga right so, you know, we've got the, the four ice rink services. We've got uh, three swimming pools. We've got two libraries. All of this in a very small town. It's unique and unusual in the level of uh, services that we provide. Uh, but, but, yeah, um, it, it has been a struggle. The, the provincial government has, um, you know, they put the green belt plan in place, thinking, yeah. okay, this, this, is a, this is a brilliant idea. We're going to uh, protect large areas of our environment admiral. I, I get it. I yep. think that's a, a wise thing. Uh, but unfortunately, they didn't realize that no matter what the government does to try to control the free market system, they can't. Uh, the, the free market will just go around. And so what you're seeing is uh, real estate in particular has jumped over past that greenbelt. They've skipped over and now you see huge development pressures in Grand Valley and Shelburne uh as a reflection of that 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 artificial green belt trying to constrain growth it yeah. isn't working
0: sure you know it's interesting that you that you say that because again one of the biggest comments that we have uh you know in the real estate world is the fact that there's this pure lack of supply or serviceable land because the government keeps interfering and if they if they do deem something to be serviceable they take forever to release the permits or for that matter do the necessary the needful to be allowed to allow developers to do it so if we're yeah. talking about you know water treatment plants you know sewage treatment plants anything that could possibly you know, help a development, and on top of that, we don't even want to talk about schools and, of course, any form of transit because you know they they definitely uh, you know sit in the proverbial there. But you know, in, in the end, you know, with with Orangeville, you've been able to get around a few things. You're you're actually utilizing your good land. You've still got lots of green space up there. It's you know again great great space for people to be dealing with. Um, where do you where do you see things kind of uh, you know Going out this year, I mean, you know, being being obviously in politics uh, to to a certain extent, you're always mindful of it. You know, we've uh, we've got an interesting thing going on here in Ontario. You know, do you have do you have a, any form of you know insight that may uh, you yeah that that's, that's uh, uh, honestly it, it's a very funny
2: thing that uh, um, you know the, the Liberal government. And I don't want to get overly political here or you know one party over another, but honestly. Uh, the provincial liberals have done a great deal to hurt our economy from a a provincial perspective and and people are crying out for another uh another party to get in power there and then you have the conservatives that have done almost everything they can (laughs) to shoot themselves in their foot and and it's a shame it it really is Uh, so i do think that this will be the year that we uh, we see a change uh and and a change in direction and hopefully uh, the new party that gets in is going to be a little bit more receptive to the whole thing of uh, you know we are a free market economy this is this is how we became uh, you know the great economic power of the world and, and to constantly squeeze it and control it uh, it's not a healthy thing you you need to to kinda of back, back away a little bit and I, I'm not sure how many uh, people out there realize that a lot of the controls at the local level, for example, zoning or growth or those sorts of issues sure. is strictly controlled by the province. I mean, yeah. they tell us what to do. They set our, our growth uh, targets through, for, uh, through official plans yep. um, and, and they they really have their fingers on a lot of these, these planning and, and issues that, that drive uh, real estate hugely.
0: Yeah, you know, and it makes it tough for municipalities like yourselves because you're, you're, you're. They're kind of treating you like a puppet. They want to pull all the strings, and yet you still have to be the proactive, you know, people on the ground dealing with the day to day life of it all. And when you keep, you know, I, I basically look at it that you know they constantly want to reject any any potential of future yeah. growth, and and it's kind of sad to see. They, they often
2: give us the marching orders.
0: Yeah, but they don't give us the tools to do it. Yeah. Like you, you mentioned just a little bit
2: ago about Uh, to treatment plants and and those sort of upgrades well we have uh, we've been spending tens of millions of dollars uh, upgrading our own plant uh, with nothing nothing from the you know we're just okay you guys you have to you have to uh to grow more you have to intensify um, within your boundaries and yet they're not giving us any of the financial tools of of how to pay for all this stuff. Very frustrating.
0: Yeah, No, I can can see that for sure. You know, it's interesting, because the GTA is going to grow and continue to grow, obviously. You know, it's pushing the boundaries. Eventually, I think the GTA will be up in Aurelia, you know, by the time everything's (laughs) said and done. But, you know, uh, uh, this week there was a report released saying that, you know, they're forecasting another three and a half million people in the greater Toronto area over the next 20 years. You know, if you equate that you know that means a million more residents is yeah, required right, yeah. and you know i don't know based on the provincial plan right now where they think they're going to shove that <laughs> i know where we <laughs> want to tell them to <laughs> shove it but at this day ta- at this stage you know how do how does a municipality like orangeville answer that
2: yeah uh, uh purely through infill and through intensification and that in itself is a challenge. I mean, we pride ourselves on being a small town. Yeah. And if you want to put in, you know, 30-story condominium towers, w- well, guess what? You've just lost Orangeville. And we're sure. we're not going to do that. I mean, we we've always fought hard yeah. against that. Uh, and so that that is where uh, the province's idea of of forcing things that you know they do make sense in cities it makes sense to intensify in a city sure Uh, does it really make sense in a small town I I don't believe so I think what you're doing is you're trying to use that that cookie cutter uh, approach uh, to to all towns in in Ontario uh, to build and intensify uh, and and really it it makes no sense it makes no sense Uh, it's almost as if uh, the the requirements to do that um, they're thinking about it from a Toronto perspective, and my goodness, if they just you know drive, drive a little bit out of town and see what small towns are like and, and talk to the people and listen to them, and I don't feel that the, the municipal voice is truly being heard by the province. I, I just don't feel that at all.
0: I'm shocked that you say that. I'm, I, you, you see my face. It's like, what? The provincial government's not listening. <laughs> um, you've got an election coming up. I understand this year, 2018. Yeah. Um, so, can the can the good residents of uh, Orangeville look for another good four years from you? Well,
2: I'm always going to. Uh, be there for uh, my people as long as they want me there so as long as they keep electing me I'm going to keep uh, running and I'm happy to serve them that's for sure yeah it's it's quite a it's funny you, you see people from the outside of uh, uh, of politics looking in thinking that uh, you know politicians do this for their own benefit and I have to tell you uh, the amount of effort and work that, that uh, a good political leader puts into their position um, yeah, you, you don't do it for money. Yeah, you really don't, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I've, uh, I've got that in my blood and I'll, I'll keep running as long as, uh people keep electing
0: me. Excellent. Well, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show again, Mr. Mayor, and uh, we look forward to having you come back and, um, you know, maybe it'll be with you in your next term. So,
2: well, thanks very much for inviting me and, and I love your show.
0: Yeah, excellent. Thanks. Thanks so much, folks. That was the Mayor of Orangeville, Mr. Jeremy D. Williams joining us. I want to thank Romana King as well. She's always a great guest. Uh, Ian and Andre, they keep making it simple for me as my producers. Always a pleasure. And I want to thank you for tuning in. Tuning in this week. Also, a little bit of a change for next week. We're going to be aired at 12 noon instead of our usual 3 p.m. time slot. So make sure that you tune in at 12 p.m. to listen to my guests and what we have to say about real estate. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010, and I'm your host, Todd C. Slater.